The Marching Roundtable is proud to be an official media partner of Drum Corps International. It's hard. It's hard to perform and be this in front of students their own age. Like, that's intimidating. So, like, having starting this circle off with, this is going to feel weird and that's okay. And, like, I myself, clearly, I'm a little... Um, over the top and big with my thing. So I, I make a point when we're doing this performance stuff to like, I will be the first one to make the silly face. Go over the top, do the dumb things, like stick my nose in the air, pick my nose, like so th then wash my hands. But still, like, so I'm gonna do those things so that they see somebody else doing it. And then you'll have a few kids maybe emote that emotion. And if they don't feel like doing it yet, that's okay. But like, we're gonna get just how it feels. As you get to the part of the season where the show is really in good shape, the way to take the show to that next level is to teach performance and consistency. This podcast is full of practical information that you can take with you tomorrow at your rehearsal. Sharing their expertise on this podcast are the two gurus from the new course at Marching Arts Education, How to Start a Color Guard. Jessica Slaybaugh and Jared Clark share great advice you can use right away. Sometimes when I go in and I'll observe another color guard director and, and they're wondering why they're not getting results, but they're addressing their student very their students very monotone and they're, you know, perform guys, it's gonna be so much better. Like nothing about that would be inspiring to me. And so, you know, it, when I'm done with an eight hour rehearsal, I am physically exhausted because <laughs> all you have to do, I mean, you have to be energy is contagious. And so if you want them to be emoting the specific energy, then you have to be willing to give that to yourself. There's a video version of this podcast that members can see at marchingartseducation.com. Find a link to that video where this podcast is located at the Marching Roundtable. And find more valuable information about hiring your staff, working with student leaders, communicating with band directors, and more in the new free course, How to Start a Color Guard, at marchingartseducation.com. Thank you to the sponsor of this podcast, Fred J. Miller Incorporated, found at fjminc.com slash roundtable. Teaching performance and consistency on the Marching Roundtable. This podcast is sponsored by FJM, Fred J. Miller Incorporated. FJM is the leader in marching arts uniform manufacturing and continues to lead the charge through groundbreaking design, superior service, and over 60 years of industry innovation. The Cesario collection of marching band uniforms is 100% machine washable, includes a limited lifetime warranty, and makes the fitting process a breeze with their Adjust-A-Cuff and Adjust-A-Hem technology. Now is the perfect time to create a new image for your program chat with a live FJM representative or schedule your complimentary consultation today at fjminc.com slash roundtable. That's fjminc.com slash roundtable. Fred J. Miller Incorporated, family owned and operated since 1960. Hey everybody, it's Tim Hinton, the Beast of the Marching Arts. Thank you for listening to the Marching Roundtable podcast. We're talking about teaching performance and consistency. And yes, I know you just perked up because this is really helpful, especially as you're getting into the thick of the season and you're wanting to build those performance qualities and you want your performers to become more consistent during the shows. With me today, Jara Clark's here. Jara, how are you? I am fantastic. Thank you for asking. Yeah, thanks for being here. And Jessica Slaybaugh's here. Jessica, how are you? 
I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for talking with me today. Jara, I think everybody knows who you guys are, but anyway, give us a quick uh, intro of who you are. Quick rundown. Hello, my name is Jara Clark. I am the former director of Jinx High School in Oklahoma. This is uh, my first year to not be there. I was the director there for 11 years. I've been teaching for about 20 years. Now that I'm not the director of J at Jinx and I have so much free time, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm helping up programs around the state and uh, some programs in Kansas as well. I'm also one of the directors of an independent group here, and I'm on the board. I'm the director of education for our local circuit in Oklahoma. So still doing lots of color guard things, even though we're not in charge of a program anymore. Yeah, it frees you up to actually help more people and make an impact in a different way. And I really love that. That's great. Jessica, introduce yourself, please. Hi, I'm Jessica Sleba. I am the director and also the artistic director at American Fork High School. I work with the Color Guard and also the whole program, um, and it's a lot of fun. I get to do that also with a few other groups across the country, um, and, and I just enjoy what I do. It's so much fun to play that role with marching education, and then also I just get to spend a lot of time with students and, and really developing confidence in, in their performance. So what's tricky about teaching performance, I think, is that it's hard to make it seem authentic to me. There's nothing, I, I mean, I'll just, true confessions to everybody, there's nothing I hate more than watching the little tiny cheerleader girls with the fake smiles and the over the, like, and I'm like, okay, I don't want to watch this. I'm sorry, cheerleader moms, they're lovely. I'm sure they're lovely, but I don't want to see that. Like, Jarrah, when I see a color guard and they're really performing and they're emoting and I get that from them, that's such a thrilling experience, but how do you teach it? Especially, you know, as the seasons get starting to get into the thick of it. To me, I, I have I could talk for hours on performance. I'm sure. I'm gonna try to I'm gonna I'm gonna try to take it down and try to not talk really fast. But if I start talking fast, maybe somebody wave at me because <laughs> I get really passionate and I start going really fast. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I think it comes down to if I could like shorten it really small, it comes down to your eyes, to your students' eyes. And a lot of times we tell our students, perform, perform, perform. But your 14 and 15 year olds, even 16 and 17 year olds, they don't understand what that means, right? Like you tell them do a drop spin. You've taught them a drop spin. They understand the technique. They know they take it down on one. They grab on thumb down like they have the technique. But if you tell them perform, 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 it's an abstract concept. It doesn't mean anything. How do I perform? I want to. How do I do that, miss, teacher, coach, whatever they call you? And so mm -hmm. taking the time, just like you do to teach drop spins and carbs and pointing your feet. You have to take time in rehearsal to teach performance. And it's hard to do that, especially when you have the whole show in your plate and you're like, I have to get the opener done. We have a football game on Friday, but taking, you know, 20 minutes once a week out of rehearsal um, to work on performance, not only is it helpful for your program, it's helpful for the students because they get that mental break of, okay, I'm not having to worry about checkpoints and running around the field. I can really just focus on this space and performance. And so then breaking it down even further, how do I do that? How do I teach performance? Uh, I can't take the full credit for this this one. I did, I've gone to Summer Symposium, Music for All Summer Symposium for quite a few years. It's a great, um, great resource if you're looking for something to do for a camp for yourself or a director or students. Um, but I got this technique from, from there a few years ago in talking about performance. We did a class on performance and they, we literally did a poster board. We talk about the show, right? So you get your students together and you talk about your show, whether your show's, I don't know, you're doing a Peter Pan show. I just, Peter Pan. All right, guys, our show is about Peter Pan. What Part one, what does this music make you feel? So we're going to listen to the part one music. There's no wrong answer because everybody's emotions are different. Some kid might hear part one music and think, wow, this is my grandma's favorite song. It makes me so happy. 
Other kid might hear it and think, wow, we played this song at my grandma's funeral. It makes me so sad. Both those emotions are valid, but you, but now you're, you can see where that's coming from. So you're saying perform and this kid's performing sad and this one's performing happy. So you have to have a common ground of that performance, right? So like, okay, valid, but we're actually going to perform it silly, right? We're going to do silly. Break down all the words that sound like are silly. Um, I can't think of any right now because putting, I'm putting myself on the spot, but silly, uh, wonderstruck. I don't know. What's another? So well, but I love that you're, you're involving the students in helping you come up with these oh, descriptors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The students. And like, I'm going to have the poster board or you could even write it on the phone. But I think the poster board is just a little more visual and then you can hang it up in your guard room or the band room or somewhere where the kids can see it. I'm talking fast. I have to slow down. I'm so I can feel it happening. <laughs> you're fine. So you're fine. Talking through with the students about the show, like what emotion does this part make us feel? You can write down all the emotions, good, bad, happy, sad, whatever they are. And then as a team, we're going to circle the ones that actually line up with this part. This is the vibe we're going for. Silly, goofy, whimsical, although whatever that vibe is that you're going for. Okay, now we have our words. They're all circled. What does silly look like? What does whimsical look like? And when you first start this, those students are going to be like, in their shell, shoulders up, like it's hard. It's hard to perform and be this in front of people, their students, their own age, like that's intimidating. So like having, starting this circle off with, this is gonna feel weird and that's okay. And like I myself, clearly I'm a little um, over the top and big with my things. So I, I make a point when we're doing this performance stuff to like, I will be the first one to make the silly face. Like yep. be go over the top, do the dumb things, like stick my nose in the air, pick my nose, like so th then wash my hands. But still, like so I'm gonna do those things so that they see somebody else doing it. And then you'll have a few kids maybe emote that emotion. And if they don't feel like doing it yet, that's okay. But like we're gonna get just how it feels. Next step of this process, you could go to the next part of the show, or you could just stay on that one part. And I'm going to have, I, I do like to do this as well so with my little bit more advanced students. I'll have them get their phone out and like have their camera facing them. They go to a different part of the room. I turn off the lights, not pitch dark, obviously, but like, so they can't really see each other and they can only see themselves on the reflection of their phone, like their camera on their phone. And then I play the music and I just let them like make faces. Like they can even record it on their phones. So they can see what it looks like. Make the faces that feel like this part of the show, even if it's, like it looks awful. Nobody's going to see that video except for the student. It lets them kind of see what looks good, what looks bad, what looks really cool. And I encourage them like, go over the top. I'm not even looking at you. Nobody's looking at you. Nobody's going to see this video. Just what does this music make you feel? Make those faces to your camera. And then I'm going to encourage them like throughout the week. Hey, when you're in the bathroom today, look in the mirror, make a couple of faces in the mirror that go with part one and then go to, and go about your day. What is it just so they get used to seeing it and how it feels. And then the, the, the biggest thing that I can do as a director and reminding them about this performance, we're only, we're only going to do this activity like once to get all those words circled for how the part is and how that emotion is supposed to be. Then that board, that poster is going to go in the room so they can see it all the time. Yeah. Um, from there, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I'm thinking of so many things right now. From there, I'm going to remind them each rehearsal, like, what's your emotion? What's the emotion here? We're silly. We're playful. I'm going to then use, like, I have to then remember those words. So I take a picture of that, the poster board. And remember, the part one is silly, whimsical, goofy. And I'm going to use those words. we got to be goofy here. we got to be silly. Instead of saying, perform, perform, perform. Now they have a word 
and they've worked through the action of how that looks as well. And it is not going to fix it overnight. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to do this activity and you're going to think, okay, tomorrow it's going to be perfect. It will not be perfect tomorrow. It will not be perfect at the end of the season, but it will be so much better. And every season you do this, it gets better and easier and easier. And, you know, after a year or two, you probably don't even have to do that poster board anymore. You can just talk through it. And those younger kids just kind of like get into it because the upperclassmen are used to it. So it, yeah. again, I, I know that it can be intimidating. Like that's a lot. It, it can, t it takes time to do that. I think 20 minutes out of your rehearsal is a lot of time that you're taking away to just sit on the ground and talk about emotions and face, but it takes you so much further and the students are so much more invested in it. And then you're getting away from the problem that Tim was talking about at the beginning that like, it's not real <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, right. it's very fake and you're looking at it like oh, right. this is awkward right yeah. like you told me to smile i don't want to watch right. you perform for 10 minutes like this that's weird right yeah it gets them to be more real and more themselves and you're seeing mm. how sally is silly and goofy and how jessica is silly and goofy and how tim is like and everybody has a different version of that and that's what makes it more real right so, and then once they see each other doing it they encourage each oh. other and, and to Jessica, when she said the part about she being the first one to model, you really nodded your head. So, like, you have to start this process by doing it yourself. Well, and, and I always say that being a color guard instructor is performing. And your students will only get the same energy that you're willing to give them on a regular basis. So, if you're standing up there, I always, you know, sometimes when I go in and I'll observe another color guard director and, and they're wondering why they're not getting results, but they're addressing their student very their students very monotone and they're, you know, perform guys, it's going to be so much better. Like nothing about that would be inspiring to me. And so, you know, it, when I'm done with an eight hour rehearsal, I am physically exhausted because <laughs> you have to do, I mean, you have to be energy is contagious. And so if you want them to be emoting the specific energy, then you have to be willing to give that yourself. Um, yeah, wait, I want to interrupt you for a second because I want to make this point. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. something I learned. You, you guys just made a point that I think is really, really important. I love, I love what everything you guys are saying. There was a, I remember one time seeing a, a very small little band that had six guard members and they performed better than any other guard I saw the whole day. And I said, what, I want to find out what this is. And I'll tell you what I did. I met their guard instructor <laughs> and I saw this man teaching them and he was performing and they model, right? They're going to do what they see you do. If you're performing and teaching them a certain way, by the way, this man turned out to be Brian Wynn, who we all know is like a genius in the color guard world now. But this was like when he first started in his very first color guard that I ever saw. And I was like, I want to find out who this man is because he's, and when I saw him teaching, he was modeling exactly what you're saying. He was emoting with his face and the students saw it. And they did it too. So Jessica, what you just said was very important to me to make the point that you have to have the same level and passion and performance to them, show them what it looks like, right? Yeah, your students are literally a reflection of you and, and everything that you're willing to give is what they're willing to give. Um, 
And I also, I think about this a lot when I'm programming too, like playing the role of an artistic director. It's, you know, I, I do like to push my comfort zone for me personally, but I also know, you know, at, at a specific level, you're going to be choosing things that are appropriate for that performer's comfortability, right? So when you're picking a program and you're picking a show for your band, um, and, and I talk about this when, you know, I have, I have a cadet color guard, which is an elementary school color guard, and we're going to pick a show that's, um, very different than I would pick for my high school teams. And not only just because of the level um, of that they have as far as skill set, but also I feel like performance is one of those things that can also grow. Um, you're, you know, if you're picking a show for a younger team or a brand new team that's very abstract and maybe has, there are some emotions that are harder to um, really play with. And, and that often isn't very successful. So I normally pick something that's happy. That's something that they can, you know, it is, it is a solid smile. It kind of continues throughout because that's their level of comfortability, right? Like, and we do, you know, the high school team, I never scream, smile, 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 you know, but we do that at a young age because that's, that's about their level of understanding when it comes to performance, right? When we're, we're talking about a second grader, you know, telling them to smile is something that's much more um, tangible than perform, perform, you know, like that's nothing that they can really grasp onto. But so, you know, your performance does evolve as, as you, you know, as, as you yourself get more comfortable with what performance is and as your team evolves, because then they'll have better examples, right? You'll have upperclassmen, you'll have people that they can really look up to and see what performance is. Like they have a something in front of them. And that's one other thing I was going to say is oftentimes it's great to have some, some, something in front of them, somebody in front of them, maybe it's a choreographer, maybe it's you personally, maybe it's, you know, your captain or your very best performer, but having some, somebody, you know, I remember as a performer, my favorite thing to do was to go put myself next to the person that I thought was the best at blank. And I would do that on purpose because I knew if I stand, if I stood next to, you know, Jacob, that's somebody that I looked up to. If I stood next to Jacob and I danced next to Jacob, I needed to dance as big. I needed to perform as big. I needed, you know, it was a way for me to push myself, right, to have that example. So. And you're talking about um, having younger kids do shows that were, where they are smiling. And there's nothing wrong with doing a show where you're smiling and the emotion isn't going to change. It's just happy and fun and we're living our best life. But yeah. you still like, I'm going to start them with, okay, let's smile. We got to smile. And they're going to smile like this. Yeah, but wait right? a minute, Jara. You started talking, yeah. wait a minute. Uh -huh. You started talking about eyes. So we've been uh -huh. talking about face, but let's talk about eyes specifically. Why is that so important? Getting it into your eyes. Because when you're watching, when you watch, you know, those little elementary kids perform, if they're just smiling and even high schoolers, let's be real, anybody, they're just smiling. It's not in their eyes. It's not believable. You can tell you're looking at that and you immediately know somebody told you to smile. And that's really not, yes, I did tell you to smile. And I'll even tell some students this too. Like I did tell you to smile, but it has to look like you're enjoying it. We want to look like you're enjoying it. I want to watch it if you're enjoying what you're doing. And how do I do that? How do I make, how do I make my kids look like they're enjoying it? They can't just smile constantly, right? But they have to think about what they look like. So a little tip that I use is the A-E-I-O-U rule. I told them they can smile. And then occasionally they're gonna make either a vowel shape, A, go back to the smile, O, go back to the smile, U. It changes their face. So they're smiling, A, I, you like it just changes that texture of their face it looks stupid when i'm just standing here with no flag doing it but thanks for going along with that journey with me i just remind them a-e-i-o-u you got to do something with your face maybe you a when you toss and you oh when you catch giving them those little cues 
right? And like, as they're those younger kids, I'm going to give them direct cues. We're going to make the A on count five. Yeah. We're going to make the O on count seven. So they're learning how to input that in the show. And then after about a month, they start finding their own places to put it in because it feels normal to them at that point. But if you don't, if you're just telling them to smile, they're going to smile. They're going to do exactly what you're telling them. And so that fill up that tool belt with a few more things to help it get into their eyes. And then when they make that O, it's really hard to make O and, and, not, and not engage your eyes. So it, it kind of helps fix that and gives, gives them something to actually do instead of like, look happy. I, but I'm not happy, but I'm not. <laughs> I think too, at a, at a more advanced level, we also talk about a lot about eye contact and not eye contact. I actually, I actually do specify that eye contact is not staring down an individual in the audience. Because sometimes <laughs> I've seen it taught that way, like find, find a person in the audience and stare at them. It's like, I don't know if you've ever just been stared at for four minutes straight, but it is one of the most awkward things that you could probably <laughs> as an audience member so please don't do that to anybody um I love like I love being able to find eye contact moments throughout choreography that we'll talk about so as you're choreographing something like being able to find where those eye contact moments are for your performer and then we talk about eye contact is like you know like there's a way that you can perform to an entire stadium full of people and so you know a lot of times when we talk about that pinpointed person that's like I don't know how we created that within our activity like find someone and stare them down but like so awkward don't do that but being able to like open up your performance to an entire stadium and we talk about that and how and and that's definitely a more mature level of performance once you get to that state um but it's still really important to talk about like how you can use the eye contact um throughout choreography um yeah. and, and it, it it allows I, I think of it from this perspective like you know there's there's that wall right between the audience and and the performer right and we talk about that wall a lot and really when you start performing or re, you really start to use a lot of these elements it really breaks down that barrier and it allows your audience to feel like they're more a part of what's going on right it doesn't feel like they're observing something in a fish tank um it's more like you know they're able to really be a part of the performance and that's when i think that you know you can create emotion within people who are experiencing your show yeah that's how you're breaking down that wall is you're letting the emotion come through. So, you know, if you, you have that wall or the fish tank, I love that analogy of like, you're just, the audience is just looking into the fish tank because yeah. the fish don't have emotion, right? The fish are just swimming around living their life, but a color guard, like they're people, they have emotion. So if you're expressing that emotion to the audience and performing and giving them that energy, it starts to break down that wall and the bricks come down and the audience then is invested in your show and they're like on the edge of their seat. Oh my gosh, where are we going? What's next? Don't leave. Don't stop performing. I want to keep watching you. It's it's really cool when that wall starts to come down. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so we get the performance going. Now, Jessica, let's say a few words about building that consistency, which goes right along with it. Yeah, I think, well, number one, even for any of this to happen, making sure that your environment or the safe that you, or the space, excuse me, that you have for your performers is always a safe space. You know, I always, I love to always, you know, performance or our gym, or maybe it's the field. It's like, this is our place that where we can make mistakes. And this is our place where we get to experiment with some of these different things. I think making sure that your performers feel that right off the bat is going to allow us to develop that consistency that's needed in performance. Um, environments. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to consistency, you know, we always hear practice like you perform, practice like you perform, but, but really what is that, you know? And so in our, 
in my way of teaching it, is we talk about what are the different elements that you might encounter in a performance environment that might be different. What are some of the things that are the same? You know, like the yard lines will always be the same. That's a consistent element, right? So we talk about what are those elements that are the same? What are some of the elements that might be different? Like what is something that you might experience that might put you in a different space, right? Um, and, and really developing consistent, you want to practice like you perform is a huge one and making sure you go through it just like you would. You know, anytime you give more energy to something, which oftentimes just as humans we do when we're performing, that's when we have these errors that happen. And so we do talk about like, and I know we go into this a little bit in some of the videos we've done on the Marching Arts Education Roundtable um, page, but we talk a lot about how do you identify an error? Was it physical? Was it a mental break? Were you thinking about dinner? You know, like what are those things? We all, all of our brains do that. And so coming up with ways that we can identify how many of those errors we're having and, and then being able to say, why did we have that error? And then working towards a plan to fix that is only going to create consistency within your performers. You know, it's, it's our job as educators to hold them accountable, but how? You've got to give them the tools that they need to overcome some of those things. Um, and so I think, you know, there's so much that can be talked about when we talk about consistency, but really the environments and talking through it and making sure that your performers are utilizing some of those tools, I think are extremely important. I think I'm even to add on something as simple as, you know, you're getting the reps, you know, you've done this page one to 10, page one to 10, page one to 10, you've done it 20 times. All right, let's get some water, but you still want to get some reps on page one to 10 because you know, they need those reps. All right, guys, this time, this is prelims. Put yourself there. That audience is here. I will. I do this all the time. I, I put that pressure on them. And every, you will notice when you start putting that pressure on, all right, guys, it's prelims. Let's do this rep just like it's prelims. Pull those shoulders back. Here we go. Music's on. Yeah. Mistakes happen right there. You will see more mistakes in that rep when you first start this process because they put that pressure on themselves. They finish the rep. I'm going to stop. All right, guys, what happened that time? Why do we have so many mistakes? I don't know. I don't know. The pressure, that's what happened. And I'm going to let them know, like, I'm not mad, but this is why we're practicing like this. That pressure was just on your shoulders and we weren't ready for it. Let's do it again. Now we're in finals. That crowd is here. Take that breath. Let's go. Here we go. We're in finals. Like, I'm going to talk to them like they're in finals because we all know we have a different vibe when we're going into finals or prelims. Like, you have a different vibe as a director as you're going into that. And so like, I'm going to make that change in myself. So they feel that change. They feel the intensity um, and they, they know what it's going to feel like that day. And typically that next rep is a little bit better, which is what we're hoping. And then I'm going to tell them the next time, like, Hey, it's prelims. Let's get it done this first time. So like right. reminding them, making them feel like they're in that environment. Clearly they're not, but I'm going to tell them your boyfriend's in the stand, your girlfriend's in the stand, your grandma's in the stand. Let's go put that pressure on. Cause it feels different when you're in front of people that we, I don't care if you're brand new or if you've been doing this for 20 years in front of people is stressful. Even if the most prepared person is stressed of, or not stressed, can be overwhelmed a little bit in that moment. And so using those rehearsal reps of putting them there, making them envision what's about to come, try to put them in that situation. It can help with that consistency a little bit. Nothing is like the real thing, but you know, helping them visualize being in that situation can help with the consistency as well. The biggest and the biggest mistakes I see from directors who are, you know, trying to get consistency and they're like, why are my performers not consistent? Is also I, I would say try to make things the most normal as possible when you are in those high stress situations. So, you know, oftentimes if I observe a director, 
you know, you can see that they're visibly nervous and you can, you know, when they talk to their students, they're like, we're going to go out there and we're going to make this one the best one we've ever done. And it's like, okay, that's absolutely the wrong way to approach it because we want to go out there. We want to make this the most consistent. We want to make it the same. We want this to feel the most normal, you know? And so we, like a lot of times when I see the stress or I see a group go out there and they fold under the pressure, you know, and then you look at, at how we set ourselves up for success. It's like, you know, we went into it, we, we prepared differently. And, you know, we, you know, I, I, I love all the traditions, of course, but like, if you're not willing to do them at rehearsal, don't do them in a show environment. You know, it's like, we're trying to make the show just like we would any other thing. It's, we're going to go out there, we're going to do our job. It's just like we do on Monday night. It's the same thing. It's, it's creating that same atmosphere so that they can have the same level of success that they have when you're practicing, because that's the only success that they've ever experienced. So when you go out there and you're you know, you get off the bus and all the directors are dressed up and they're spraying the extra glitter spray in their hair. And all these are great things, by the way, but you just have to make sure that you're willing to do them at rehearsal too. So you can create that same environment, but you know, and then, and then the way that you approach the students, if you're stressed or if you're visibly, you know, if they can see a difference in you, then they see at a normal rehearsal, they're automatically going to change the way that they approach it. So I always talk about approaching it the same way. You know, and when we get closer to a WGI or, you know, whatever that, whatever that is for your end, if it's a BOA, a WGI, maybe it's just the last football game of your season, you know, as you approach that last rehearsal, go through it just like you would, you know, we get to the end of the season. And a lot of times I don't do a full warm up block. I give them their, you know, whatever it is, that nine minutes <laughs> in body. And then we take a little break and then I give them a nine minutes to warm up on their equipment and I'm ready to start and hit play because that's what they get when they get to a show environment. So trying to keep it as similar as whatever that experience you have as your last show, as you possibly can, you're going to get the best results. I think consistency too in the director, like obviously we want consistency in our students, but consistency in the director and your staff is important too. And I know myself, I tend to get really excited and amped and I know that about myself. So I have to like actively breathe on contest day and it goes back to modeling because I know that I have students that do that too and they will see me all day long like I'm just standing around taking breaths and I see students just like staring at me and I'm like I'm okay guys I'm just I'm just breathing getting my heart rate down and then I see them lined up for the show and I love that because I'm like thank god my stress is helping some some the way I'm handling my stress is helping somebody else handle their stress like there's nothing wrong with feeling that overwhelmed moment like they're going to feel a little overwhelmed in the moment like it's just going to happen but helping them learn how to control that and you yourself as the director and the staff has to learn like being in control in that moment and realizing like I'm getting worked up I'm a little stressed right now I need to keep my mouth closed and just take some breaths in this moment and the kids see that too and they start modeling that because you're showing them what to do so it all circles back together yeah, I love that the consistency of your performance and your modeling is part of bringing the, and it's the same with the performance, right? It's a lot of it is on you to be that consistent thing. I love Jessica, your point about um, it just, it's, it's the same as in rehearsal, right? Like you don't do anything different in performance. Um, it reminds me, I had some wonderful conversations with Scott Chandler, the program coordinator and coordinator choreographer for the Blue Devils. You can find this course on our website, everybody. I want to mention this. It's called Winning Design with Scott Chandler. It's free for members. And here's a tip, everybody. You can sign up for one month for $5.99 and watch this thing and then cancel your membership if you don't want to keep it. But I want you to be able to get access to this. 
And he, I remember him talking very strongly about how he told he told his um, members in the Blue Devils even like make every mistake at practice. Right? That's what you want to do. You want to get everything that can possibly go wrong to go wrong at practice. It's perfectly fine to make every mistake in the world because you've then had that experience. And when something goes wrong in the show, you knew what you did to fix it. You knew what it felt like. And he also talks a lot about just doing the the big final performance, just like all the other ones, being consistent in every single way. He talks about in that course, Winning Design, it's on our website. He talks about how that's especially hard when he's working with the the members in Japan in the groups he works with there because they, they really, really want to do extra good and do extra well on the f- big final show. And he says they really have to work with the performers there and teach them about, nope, you got to do it exactly the way you've been doing it. Every other show, every other rehearsal, he says that's a really hard thing to teach there. Um, so anyway, modeling for your students for the performance and the consistency and letting them know that they're going to do, you know, we do want to practice like the performance. Yes, there's not going to be exactly the same, but we've talked about a lot of things here to make that possible. Um, I love it. This is such a valuable conversation. Jara, what do you want to say in closing to sort of wrap this up? Um, performance is important and taking the time to teach your students what performance is, is important. I think I said it like three or four times in the first half, but it is so hard to, to cut out time in your rehearsal for non-spinning, for non-technique, non-drill, non-music. Even this goes for band too. You could do this whole technique performance thing for your whole band. And like, I get it. It's, we got things to do. We got a show to put on. We got a football game next weekend. We got a contest. Like, I hear you. Those things are so important. But at the end of the day, you're trying to help those students be the most successful possible. So taking that 20 minutes, even 15, 10, anything you can spare, Take that time out of rehearsal and spend a little bit of time talking through performance, what you expect them to look like. What does performance mean to you? What do you want them to look like? Because if you give them that expectation and you describe it and you show them what it's supposed to be, it's going to take them so much further than just yelling, perform, perform, perform all season. You're just just wasting your breath in that. So take the time out of those rehearsals. One a week, one a week to spend a little bit of time on performance. It's worth it. No, I think it's a great point, Jerry. It's part of your show. I mean, it's just as much a part of your show as catching that six, right? Like, you have to be able to do this, too. And I think we all understand, okay, I have to take time for good warm-up. I have to take time to teach technique and review technique at the beginning of every rehearsal. Well, you have to take time for this part, too. So I love that you made that point. It is not a waste of time, anybody. It is valuable time because i got to tell you, when I'm watching a guard that's really performing and has been taught how to do it, that is that takes it up five levels. And and we all know that when we see it, right? So perform that you love, the Blue Devils, the Carmel, the Avon, the whoever whatever group you whoever love watching. It is. They take time out of those rehearsals. Yes. To work on performance. Every single one of those groups is taking time out to work on performance. So it's obviously working for them. It can work for you. Yeah, I love <laughs> it. Work. Jessica, final thoughts. Yeah, I was just going to talk a little bit about consistency and just as you're getting to this point in the season, as a lot of us are, this might be something that you bring up with your members, but really the key to consistency is keeping everything the same. So anything that you can do to create a similar environment to what that performance is that you're looking forward to or what this Friday's football game is going to be like, trying to make sure that you can keep it as same Um, as, as similar as you do at rehearsal is going to lead to the most success for those performers. 
what valuable information this was. I'm so happy to get to share this. Jessica and Jared, thank you so much. This is wonderful. Thank you. Don't forget to find hours of free information about Color Guard that will help your program right now in the new free course, How to Start a Color Guard, at marchingartseducation.com. Thanks again to the sponsor of this podcast, Fred J. Miller Incorporated, found at fjminc.com slash roundtable. This is your host, Tim Hinton, the beast of the marching arts. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll check out my new paranormally-themed bed and breakfast, The Phantom History House. You can see videos, pictures, and book your stay at phantomhistoryhouse.com. If you're a business that works with band directors, marching bands, color guards, or drum lines, you should sponsor podcasts at the Marching Roundtable. Our listeners are the exact audience you're trying to reach, and with thousands of podcast downloads each month, it's a great way to directly reach your target audience. For more information, click on the Sponsorship Opportunities link at marchingroundtable.com or email Tim at tim at marchingroundtable.com. You can grow your business and help support what we're doing here on the podcast.